The COVID-19 pandemic has changed life for all of us. But even before this, we were already fighting an epidemic, the battle against chronic disease. And those with chronic diseases are at highest risk of contracting severe coronavirus infections. So how do we protect ourselves during these uncertain times? But more importantly, how do we view health? Welcome to the Glass Half Healthy Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jonar, a physician board certified in internal medicine and certified in lifestyle medicine. In this podcast, I want to address the current crisis of chronic disease and to challenge the conventional attitude towards health. We will be exploring these issues with thought-provoking guests to help redefine what health should mean for all of us. I hope to inspire you to take action towards a happier, thriving life because good health comes to those who expect it. What is up, everyone? I am your host, Dr. Jonar, and this is my podcast, The Glass Half Healthy. To our most loyal fans, thank you for the continued support. And to our first-time listeners, a warm welcome to my podcast, which was just ranked in the best 21 medical podcasts to subscribe to in 2021 by Board Vitals. I am so pumped about this and also very grateful to be a part of this elite list. And I'm just so excited for how far this podcast has come in such a short period of time. And it would not be what it is without you all listening. So virtual high fives, fist bombs, hugs to each and every one of you. Seriously, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I hope to continue bringing you amazing guest discussions to help you along your health journey. That said, this episode goes out to all the parents out there with their kids who faced difficult times this past year. So my guest this week is Dr. Sheree Chu. But before we get into that, a word from our sponsor. This episode of The Glass Half Healthy was brought to you by Peaches. This fruit contains antioxidants, which protect against oxidative stress, important in reducing your risk of many chronic diseases, including certain cancers. Their natural sweetness is both delicious and refreshing, and I eat them because I practice what I peach. Peaches, get it, wherever fresh produce is sold. Okay, back to the pod. This is our 23rd episode, and I'm dedicating this one to all the parents out there raising kids throughout this past year. The title of our episode, Parenting in the Pandemic, with the wellness pediatrician, Dr. Cherie Chu. She's a native Californian, she's board certified in pediatrics and certified in lifestyle medicine, and she runs Wellness Pediatrician, a website blog dedicated to empowering parents and physicians to promote healthy lifestyle habits in children. In this episode, we discuss her work in pediatrics and how lifestyle medicine helped foster a deeper understanding and better relationship with her pediatric patients, her kids, and herself. Dr. Chu goes over all sorts of parenting topics, ranging from eating to exercise to sleep, even screen time use, all of which are so important now more than ever to address during this pandemic. We have much to cover, so let's just enter the pod with Dr. Sheree Chu. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I want to just, you know, take this time out to congratulate you on your website. I think it's, you know, a a fantastic website, Wellness Pediatrician. And what's interesting is that you and I were at the Lifestyle Medicine Conference in 2019 in Orlando, but we never met actually when <laughs> we were both there. And yeah. we did meet, but only virtually, partly because of the pandemic. And you know, really glad we were able to because you're doing amazing stuff, like you said, and you know, your current work in pediatrics, but also tying into lifestyle medicine. So I guess what I want to know is why pediatrics and how did you come upon lifestyle medicine and how does that that come into play in your practice? So I actually went into medical school not planning to do pediatrics. I um, oh, really mm -hmm. what did you I plan scheduled my whole third year around either doing family medicine or OBGYN. I thought I wanted to deliver babies. Interesting. And so I went through my rotation in OBGYN. You, you, in third year, you do it mid-cycle or mid-year, mid the ones that you want to do. So that's when I did OBGYN. 
But every time a baby was born, I didn't want to stay with the mom. <laughs> I wanted to go follow the baby. And so, you know, in my mind, I had assumed pediatrics, you're just going to be dealing with cold, 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 cold. It's going to get boring. So I, I scheduled my peds rotation last. And, but then I got to pediatrics. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this. Like, I love being able to work with whole families. I love being able to impact kids when they're young, because, you know, you can make such a huge impact if you're helping them out right when they start out making habits and doing things in life. And so it definitely, like once I did my rotation in in third year, I, for sure, yes, I want to do pediatrics. And so I, of course, learned through that rotation that it's not just about cultures, like so many aspects to pediatrics, but a big part of that is wellness. And, you know, we, all pediatricians call our physical exam that we do wellness child visits, well, well child visits. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it is. And so, and I've been doing this now for 15 years, but I started doing lifestyle medicine two years ago. And mm-hmm. what I found when I started doing that, you know, lifestyle medicine is basically like optimizing, you know, your lifestyle habits and preventing disease and potentially treating disease or even reversing disease with healthy lifestyle habits. And so what I learned from doing that is there's like so much application to kids. Because as you know, doing lifestyle medicine, a lot of it's focused on chronic disease like heart disease and diabetes, which luckily for the most most cases doesn't affect kids, although we're starting to see more type two diabetes in, in teens and children. But you know, I think the concepts of lifestyle medicine really have huge application in pediatrics. And when you think about a lot of the issues that I deal with on a day-to-day basis, and I work in outpatient pediatrics, a lot of them actually go back to lifestyle choices. Like for example, you know, kids suffering from depression or anxiety mm-hmm. or chronic abdominal pain or constipation or chronic headaches, like all those things often have some kind of root in lifestyle. And so, so now what I do is I bring back my lifestyle medicine training and all that I've learned in regards to how to like do goal setting or coach a kid And I'm better able to get kids to be like a partner in their care and in making changes in their own life versus just telling them what to do. So like, as an example, you know, before I did lifestyle medicine training, if I had a kid who came in with constipation, which we all do as pediatricians, you know, you tell them, you know, you need to to eat more fiber, you need more fruits and vegetables, drink more water, and then they'd go on their way. And then ultimately they'd come back like a few months later, like, it's not better. What do I do now? And they're like, okay, try some medication. And that's pretty much how I did things. Mm-hmm. And so the difference now is if I get a kid with that same complaint, I'm asking them like, what do you eat? Tell me your diet. Tell me what you eat in the day. And I go through each thing that they're eating. And then I can pinpoint areas of, you know, where they can make adjustments and give them very specific changes that they can make to help them to be better. But not only that, but I can also explain to them the reason why. And I can explain to them, what does fiber do for their gut? What does fiber do? What is the gut microbiome? How does that relate to constipation? How does that relate to mental health? And I think once kids like know the whole picture, I think there's better buy-in. And so I'm seeing kids doing better with these lifestyle changes without having to go like straight to medication. Of course, medication has its role, but I just feel like once I've started doing the lifestyle medicine training and now using that in my practice, that's kind of my first go-to before anything else. That's awesome. I mean, I think it's so important, like you said, and especially starting in kids on, you know, early on trying to find, you know, the, the underlying cause of why they're doing what they're doing and getting them to, you know, see and realize and trying to tie things together. Kids buy into that, you know? Right. That's what I'm seeing for so many other things, you know, like sleep, for example, the teen, you know, you'll tell a teenager, turn off your phone one to two hours before bed in one ear out the other. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well now Mm -hmm. explain to them, well, what does blue light do to melatonin? How does melatonin affect sleep? Right. What is your circadian rhythm? Explain all that to them. And they, they start to actually listen. Yeah. I, I feel like they're much more curious about processes. So if you explain to them the process, they, they would be more willing to buy into, you know, that behavior. So that's, that's really cool that, that you do that. But so let me ask you though, I mean, lifestyle medicine, like you said just recently, was there a specific thing in your practice or, you know, in your personal life? Cause I know that you have a very compelling story. Like what triggered you to do, you know, pursue the lifestyle medicine certification? 
So, you know, I haven't told you yet, but I have, I have twins and they, I was going through a time in my life around the time they were born. That was really tough. Like I had just gone through 10 years of watching my mom go through breast cancer therapy and treatment and ultimately losing that battle after about 10 years, a few months before I got pregnant. And so, you know, I kind of went from that to just what life is like having newborn twins. And it was a really tough time for me. And then on top of that, I was working full time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it was, became really wearing. I was starting to have some symptoms of burnout. Um, And so that kind of set me on a path of like looking for something different Mm -hmm. or just learning more about something else. And I didn't really know what I was going to do with it, but I started going to conferences about like culinary medicine. And I went to those for a few years. And at the same time, I was really wanting to make sure I was doing things to optimize my own kids' health and my own. Because right. knowing that I have cancer in my family, that put it on me that like, hey, you know, this is something that you are at risk for. You got to do something that to hopefully reduce your chances so that mm-hmm. you can be around for your kids when they grow up. Right. So I think it was both of those things that kind of got me on that path. And I literally heard about lifestyle medicine maybe about a year before I got certified in it. Because once I heard about what it was all about, and I just loved the fact that it was evidence-based, mm-hmm. that's one of the, that was one of my drivers, I just wanted to know more. And, I, and it really fit with how I like to practice medicine. It fit with what I wanted to do with my own life. And lo and behold, once I started applying the, the practice of lifestyle medicine to my own life, my burnout got better because I was more well-rested. I was more focused. I was eating better. I felt better. So it had so much impact for me from a professional place, from a personal place. And so that's why I really feel compelled to you know, educate people about lifestyle medicine, number one, but also how does it affect pediatrics and how can we get our kids to have healthy lifestyle habits from the start, which is why I started that website. Right. You know, I think your your story is such a powerful one. First and foremost, I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Oh, I think, you know, whenever something happens in our lives that triggers, you know, pain or suffering, we're, we're all open to to change. And, I, you know, I think, you know, your case in point with that, and it came at a pivotal time in your own life where you had to kind of figure out what you wanted to, you know, do with your life and not even just professionally, but yourself too. Like, you know, you're now the mother of two kids and taking care of your own health is as important as it is, you know, maintaining your, your, you know, fervor for medicine. So it's awesome to hear that, that kind of helped tie in everything for you. And so for our listeners who are, you know, hearing you for the first time and also listening to this podcast for this first time, what, what is lifestyle medicine? Like, can you just describe it in your own words and like, how is it, you you kind of touched on it, but really, like, how is it really relevant with with raising kids and in your specific field? Sure. So lifestyle medicine it uses an evidence based approach, which I've mentioned before, about to specifically prevent, treat, and in some cases even reverse chronic diseases by optimizing lifestyle. So it has like six pillars that they really focus on. So specifically, it's about nutrition. So in that specifically, a whole food, plant predominant diet sleep. You want to optimize your sleep. Uh, you want to get enough physical activity. You want to have you know good management of stress, as well as connecting with your loved ones. And then finally, avoiding risky substances like tobacco and excessive alcohol. So, you know, with, with that being said, you created that wellness pediatrician website. So what sparked the idea behind this? Was it just, you know, you stumbled upon lifestyle medicine and now you're really seeing the the difference it's making in kids' lives. Was that the main impetus behind it? Well, I actually had the idea for it before I even knew about lifestyle medicine. It's something oh, that okay. I've wanted to do for huh. a few years. Interesting. Because yeah, because you know, I would often have patients coming in asking me like wellness type questions. And it was hard to direct them to a place online that I felt was a reliable resource. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people are really talking about wellness in kids. There's a lot of wellness stuff for adults, but there's not a lot of wellness for kids stuff. And so actually, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. And honestly, kids are suffering from a lot of the same things adults are. 
Sure. It's a lot more anxiety and depression than I've ever seen before. Right. And so I wanted to create a resource that I felt comfortable referring my patients to, and then also for other pediatricians to refer their patients to that was, you know, evidence-based and, but it was focusing on specifically wellness topics. And so that my website, I actually do more, I kind of divide it more into like lifestyle medicine topics. And that way it's a good resource for both healthcare providers, but also for my patients and their patients. Yeah. I also took a look at it. It's beautiful, by the way. <laughs> I really <laughs> like the layout and your color schemes and everything. It's just really well put together. So, and it's a great tool for everyone out there. It's free. So please check that out. We'll have the links in our show notes. And so, you know, as we're waving goodbye to 2020, thank God, and on to 2021, <laughs> a new year with COVID still gripping our country, unfortunately, you know, how can we approach this year on a healthier footing with our family and our kids, you know, to maintain our health, but also optimize our immune system? So, you know, I think that you can try to make steps to optimize those six areas of lifestyle that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a huge 180, which ultimately in a lot of cases will make your family reject it. <laughs> so <laughs> I think taking like small steps to, you know, eating more of a plant predominant diet, you know, trying to prioritize your sleep, for example. So, you know, for example, like, let's say you commit to taking a family walk three times a week, you know, that's something simple enough, right? You're not saying you're going to have to run two miles every day mm -hmm. and it's more acceptable if you do something small. And I think for dietary type changes, adding is better than taking away because then, you know, People sometimes feel a sense of deprivation when you take away things. Eventually, you do want to try to reduce, you know, unhealthful foods in your diet. But I think the very first step is about adding. So like, for example, let's say your kids are used to eating cereal and milk for breakfast. Well, mm -hmm. why don't you add on the side like a green smoothie or add some slices of fruit or cut up some strawberries and put it in the cereal. So like, mm -hmm. there's some things, you know, you can do to add in more plant-based foods into diet that it's not radically changing things. I think the other thing that we can do as parents is really trying to prioritize our health and model that to our kids because kids really see what we do. And right. if we're doing things like making sure that we're getting enough sleep and they're seeing that we are prioritizing that, or we're doing things like choosing healthy foods to eat, they see us eat those things. And even if they don't eat it, they've seen it. And that's a good place to start. But one thing I do want to mention is that trying to avoid commenting on like, I need to go on a diet, I need to watch my weight, I don't like my size, because I think that that brings in a whole nother dimension of diet culture to kids, which I am not advocating for, really right. advocating for focusing on, I'm putting these things in because it, it will make my body healthy. End of story. Not anything related to how I look, my size, any of that. It just... I'm putting good things in to make my body healthy. Right. I, you know, I like a lot of those things that you just said. I think one of the topics or points I wanted to talk about was, you know, not going gung ho, you know, just full force, full throttle, because sometimes you can end up, you know, not meeting your expectations of reaching those, those, you know, specific habits and then just ultimately failing in the end. And then, like you said, too, you know, if you're in a family or like extended family where those type of things aren't practiced, you're going to be met with a lot of resistance. So it's right. kind of good to like ease into it. The right. other point I wanted to, to, you know, emphasize was the whole adage of like, you know, adding on something rather than, you know, taking something away. Because I just feel like a lot of times when we end up adding you know, healthy foods, it helps to crowd out those bad foods and those bad habits. So over time, you know, your body will eventually get used to eating that healthier way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, invariably, you'll end up like dropping those bad habits and those bad foods that you do eat, you know? Right. And also your taste change too. I mean, I think over time, if you get used to eating things that are not such highly salted or sugary type foods in your palate, is used to eating more plants, it becomes what you crave and it becomes what you really enjoy. 
Right. And one other trick that I will have patients do is, you know, let, I think what sometimes happens for a lot of families is that they just don't have time and end up eating out more often because they don't have time. Right. And so I'll sometimes suggest, you know, I'll ask them like, do you eat there or do you bring it home? And during the pandemic, everyone's bringing it home to eat. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. so you're bringing home this food. You're bringing home pizza, for example. Why don't you always keep in your fridge a box of salad? I just keep that big spring mix from Costco in my fridge all the time. Oh yeah, I love that. That's and then that's yeah, and cool. so like let's say you're to order a pizza, just take some handfuls of that salad out and you know can rinse it, and put that on half your plate and then put your pizza on. Well, your plate looks completely different than what it would have looked like had you not done that, right? And so like and you can do it with any kind of vegetable or keep frozen vegetables that you just microwave and serve that with whatever thing you bought from eating out. And then you just displaced half of that plate. So that's something that's an easy trick, even if you don't have the resources to cook all the time. Yeah, that's a good technique. Actually, that leads into the question I was going to ask you was, you know, eating healthy is a challenge, you know, not even just for the kids, but for us, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, my, my family, you know, we have a two year old, two and a half, and my wife's a full-time, you know, worker also. She runs her own company. So we're both very strapped for time. And, you know, you, you want your kids to just eat anything sometimes <laughs> end up eating some processed foods, unfortunately. But so I mean, what do you what do you tell parents, you know, you work with about nutrition and eating healthier? And is it okay to sometimes have them eat those processed foods if it means they're gonna eat the greens, they're gonna eat the vegetables? Yeah, I mean, I think if they get some vegetables in that's a win. In fact, if they get some fruit in, that's a win. Mm-hmm. So I think that we all have to give ourselves, you know, take a deep breath, give ourselves some grace because it's, it's trying times right now. Yeah. And, you know, and I get that. And I think so it's, it's always, you know, about little steps here and there. One thing I would mention though, is that little kids, especially toddlers are notoriously mm-hmm. hard to feed. They're picky eaters and it can be a huge challenge. <laughs> you have to tell me twice. <laughs> Um, but the thing is they are actually the best at being intuitive eaters, meaning like they mm. know when they need to eat things, like when they know when they're growing. So like you probably experienced like there's a week where your kid eats a ton and then the next week they eat like nothing. <laughs> like how are you surviving yeah. on yeah, yeah, a blueberry right. day? Right. And toddlers do that, but that's actually something that we as adults lose in a lot of ways. We just kind of eat, we see it, we eat it. Right. Uh-huh. Well, toddlers don't do that when they, when they need to eat, they eat. And for the vast majority of toddlers I see in my office, regardless of what they're eating, they're typically growing fine. And Uh I always have to reassure parents, whatever you're doing, you're getting the calories you need. He's fine. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But you can take measures to try to kind of push them a little in the direction of eating less processed stuff and eating more fresh things. Mm -hmm. And so like a few ways to do this would be, you know, one, get them in the kitchen with you to help cook. I had my kids at two on one of those learning towers in the kitchen, helping me make granola. I have a picture of this and, you know, they're just stirring it and it's so cute, but you know, that getting my kids in the kitchen very young started them off a path that they really enjoy food. They enjoy cooking. Uh Um, they're really open to trying new things. And I think that's something that a lot of parents can do is, you know, get, depends on their age, obviously what Mm -hmm. they can do to help. But you know, sometimes when you're offering a vegetable while you're standing at the kitchen counter versus sitting at the table, it's almost like fine motor play uh-huh. versus like, here, you need to eat this. Right. 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 And so I, I remember with my kids when they're that, that age, like if I was cutting bell peppers, they would want to eat it from like the cutting board, whereas it may not be the same thing at the table. Right. So right, right. I think that's one way to introduce it. And even if they don't eat it, I kind of consider it like you've given exposure. So they've Uh smelled it, right? They've seen it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They know what it feels like. They haven't tasted it yet, but that's already three senses. And that's giving them some culinary literacy that's going to serve them, you know, for the rest of their life. So that's That's one thing. That's a very good point. So just like involving them in like the process of preparing the food. Yeah. Right. Huge. That's huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So another thing is uh, something called food chaining. So mm-hmm. what that is, is when, let's say your kid is really into like mac and cheese, like from the box, right? Mm-hmm. And what you can do is try to make little alterations in the way you make it 
so that you kind of move them towards a more healthy version of that same food because it's a familiar thing. So Mm -hmm. for example, let's say you start with a box like mac and cheese. Well, then maybe you can try like homemade mac and cheese next. Mm -hmm. That's kind of close, right? Right. And then maybe after that, you can try like a vegan butternut squash mac and cheese. Mm. It's a familiar food and you're not drastically going over, but you're just kind of stepwise taking it over. And another thing you can do is kind of, if that doesn't work, you can also mix the favorite one with the other new one and kind of mix it together. Right. Half, right. half. Yeah. To, again, right, right. push, push them over. Same push thing you can right. do that with like, you know, when you're transitioning from like a cow milk to a plant-based milk, for example. Right. And the last thing I would suggest is um, just making a priority to sit together as a family to eat. And if you, even if you can't do Huge. it every day, you know, at least on the weekend or at least one parent, because I think if kids see you eating, that's good modeling for them. But I think they're also more prone to trying things and eating things. If you're like having that like connection and, and family, like experience together mm-hmm. eating versus mm-hmm. like they're sitting at themselves at the table, eating by themselves. I think it's a very different experience. Right. Right. I mean, you know, toddler eating by himself, like it, I don't think we could even rely on our toddler <laughs> to eat on his own. But you know, like the times when they're like, it's in their high chair eating and then you're still cooking. Oh, I've right, right. Done that before. I mean, I've done that before. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't work out because they need to eat. They need to go to bed. You're still cooking. It's kind of chaos, but sure, yeah, yeah, you, know, you no, got to no. do what you got to do. Exactly. And then, so, you know, even when... So lifestyle medicine, you know, one of the big pillars is nutrition and specifically, you know, a predominantly plant-based nutrition. And when I first started out eating that way, me and my wife, we both kind of did it together. She was concerned, you know, about raising potential children because, you know, our child wasn't even born at the time, raising any potential children that we had plant-based for nutrition concerns. So what do you tell parents out there about raising plant-based kids? Like, should nutritional deficiency be a valid concern? Well, kids can eat a plant-based diet, you know, as long as it's well-planned. So the difference mm-hmm. is between like an adult eating a plant-based diet and a kid is that kids do need like higher fat percent in their diet. And specifically, I'm talking about like young kids, like toddlers. Mm-hmm. So you just need to plan it out more intentionally. It definitely can be done mm-hmm. and done safely, but you have to plan mm-hmm. out. There are some supplements that you would consider doing if your kid was completely plant-based. Mm-hmm. So specifically, and, and same with adults, like you want to get B12, right? Right. You wanted to get vitamin D. Mm-hmm. You might think about getting DHA. Okay. Or doing fish. But if you did like a, a good quality, like kids multivitamin, it would contain most of what you need kind of, I think of it as insurance, but you know, to that measure, there are kids who are omnivorous who still are deficient in those vitamins because they're picky, (laughs) right? Right. Right. So, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily specific to plant-based kids. There is a book that just came out, which I am intending to order um, Uh called Nourish. And it was written by Grace Shah and Brenda Davis. And it sounds like Mm -hmm. a very comprehensive evidence-based book on plant-based nutrition for families and kids. And so I think that's a good, potentially good resource for families to look up some of that information. Cool, yeah, check out Nourish. I, I'm gonna check that out too with, with my wife. We're always looking for kind of good literature on nutrition, you know, specifically for kids, but you know, he's he's a toddler and he's picky. So just trying to find any any which way that we could, you know, try to get him the nutrients he needs eating the way that, you know, we all do is like really important for us. So that's yeah. good. We'll, we'll definitely look into that. Yeah. And I think for toddlers, two things that I think are helpful, like if you, they're really picky, if you can get them to do a smoothie, you can put all kinds of things in a smoothie. <laughs> like you can yeah. throw in like tofu in a smoothie right? and that'll give it a bit more protein, a plant-based protein. One thing that I've also done is like pasta sauces. So like, let's say you make, put a bunch of veggies in your pasta sauce but then you lift it in the blender. So it's completely just like a sauce and then throw it on top of your pasta. Well, it looks like just like pasta with sauce, but there's actually a ton of vegetables in it. So that's another thing that I've done before. Yeah, you know, it, finding sneaky ways to get in the vegetables and the fruits is totally important. Like our our toddler, he likes, eat, not likes, he loves dumplings. You can stick anything in there. I mean, he'll, he will <laughs> eat the dumpling, you know? So we yeah. can- 
we've been really sneaky about making vegetarian dumplings, like just sticking as many different plants <laughs> as we can. And he just eats the whole thing. It's it's really crazy. But I need yeah, to get a good recipe for that from you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's something I've been make. <laughs> for sure. I mean, that and the smoothies, like, they, you know, our kid loves smoothies. So we just, those are the two go-tos for us. So that's, yeah. that's good advice. You've got to find what your kid likes and kind yeah, of get right, creative. Exactly. <laughs> just hone in, get creative and hone in on that. Right. So, so one thing I wanted to talk to you about, this is like a big topic that, you know, me and my wife talk about all the time is screen time. So again, you know, going back to us being very busy and especially during this pandemic, kids are schooling at home, parents need a break. I see some benefits, you know, being adept with electronics, you know, educational videos, teaching kids like interactive learning games. These are all good things for kids. But what have you found in your experience with with regards to screen time and kids? And is that, you know, is there a healthy dose for devices? So that's a tough one. And I'll, let me speak first from my personal experience, and then I'll sure. kind of speak to my professional. So, you know, I think I kind of parent a little old school. <laughs> so I will start <laughs> off by saying that. You know, it was a really big priority for my husband and I to not expose our kids to screens early on. And, you know, people would tell us and be like, there's no way you're gonna have twins that you can't turn the TV on, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna do it. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm a strong believer in practicing what I preach. And I tell my patients, you know, try to avoid screen time until they're over two. So that's what I did. And uh -huh. we really didn't do any screen time for our kids before they were two. And it was hard. I mean, you have to pay more attention <laughs> because like you got to entertain them a little bit more because you don't have the TV to play that role. But what I found as a result of doing this is my kids, they became really good at entertaining themselves. You know, mm -hmm. like they built a really good imagination. And what I found is that they're actually, they could spend, I mean, I guess granted that I have two of them, so that probably helps a great deal as well. Right. But um, they were able to entertain themselves using non-electronic means by building those skills when they're little. Hmm. And so, you know, take that fast forward to now. So my kids are nine now and, you know, they went into elementary school, not having still had, not having had screen. Cause once we hit, once we hit two, we're like, well, why start now? <laughs> We've gotten yeah. this far. Right, so we never, right. we still didn't introduce them to screens. And so we got to kindergarten and our first parent teacher conference was a teacher told us your daughter doesn't know how to use a mouse. Cause they had it, they uh, did, cause they start like, you know, educational screen stuff, even as young as kindergarten. Right. Right. She just said, she doesn't know how to use a mouse. And I was very proud <laughs> because <laughs> like, well, we did it, you know, because you, you have all the rest of her, their lives to learn how to use a computer. Right. Yeah. Most but definitely. you can't get back that time of when you're doing this, like low stimulation type activities and building their imagination and building their creativity and building their analytical skills. Like you uh -huh. don't get it that from screen type things. But so, you know, she figured it out. They, by the end of kindergarten, could very adeptly use the computer. They're fine with it now. But the difference is they don't expect to have the TV on. They don't expect to have screen time. They don't expect to have the iPad. Mm -hmm. And so it really wasn't until this year that I even got them an iPad because I needed it for school. Mm -hmm. And it was like, ugh to my heart like we spent all this time like not doing screens and now I'm stuck having to use a screen <laughs> but I think that it was easier to limit their time on it because they weren't like I wasn't using it like as a reward type thing for them it uh -huh. just is like you need to use this for your school but that's not to say like even with them now having an iPad like we did run into some challenges with them like wanting to use it when they weren't supposed to and you know and Luckily, they have a little bit more judgment as they're like older, but you know, imagine that with a toddler. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's kind of my backstory on this. And that's kind of where my viewpoint comes from. Uh -huh. That being said, with the official recommendations for AAP now, they used to be over two, they recommend no screens. Now, I looked it up recently. They said 18 months is probably the minimum age months. to do it. But they say right. if you choose to start at 18 months, you want to make it an interactive experience. And so the whole reason behind all of this is that really kids benefit the most from interacting with people and seeing your mm -hmm. face when you play with them and mm -hmm. that back and forth communication. Like they really get so much out of that and their brain cells are, they're still developing connections in their brains. And so, so they recommend if you start screens at 18 months that you're 
not really using it like a babysitter. Like you're sitting with them and be like, oh, look, there's a duck. What's the duck doing? And, you know, making it something interactive so that it's still a learning experience for them. And the other thing that I counsel my patients about specifically is, you know, I think about entertainment for kids. And so you could categorize them in different ways. So I would consider like, let's say, you know, wood blocks, very low stimulating type entertainment. Like they don't give you any feedback. You just stack them. You have to make them into a train. Like you can do things with them, but you have to be creative and put all of the, you know, fun. You have to create all that fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Take that next step. So there's some, you know, toddler infant toys that have batteries in them. They flash and they beep and, you know, they push a button that sings. And, you know, that's kind of like a little bit more stimulation than blocks. And all that your kid had to do is like, they push a button and then like they got some feedback, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Next step is screens. They're just a passive recipient, right? It's coming at them mm-hmm. and not just, and, and the entertainment is like movement and lots of, you know, lots of sounds and, you know, it's exciting and it's fun. And kids always, they often prefer that because it is very exciting. But if your kid makes their set point and their baseline of like fun, the screen time activity, we'll now give them a set of blocks and they're like, this is boring. Give me the screen. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of find yourself in, you know, in situations where you're at a restaurant and the kid's being fussy and like, what do you do? Pull out your screen. Mm-hmm. And then if you are at, you know, a relative's house and they're being fussy, pull out your screen. Right. Yeah. It's total crutch. It becomes a crutch. Right. Yeah. And so it works. The thing is that people always do. And I think if you're not actively trying not to use it, it's very easy to use it because it works so well. But then on the flip side, like there's maybe some, a price to pay for that in my opinion, like, I think that mm-hmm. kids don't learn how to entertain themselves. And, you know, I'm seeing this now, especially since the pandemic is, you know, a lot of kids are spending hours and hours, like six plus hours a day on their screen. And this not even including, this is in the summer before school started mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they don't know how to have fun and entertain themselves without a screen. I'm like, go pick up a hobby, <laughs> learn how to play guitar. <laughs> you know, there's things that you can do that don't involve a screen, but I think they just haven't like learned how to do that, like the way that we did when we were kids. Yeah, it's it's really just interesting. I mean, we didn't have these devices growing up. I mean, mm-hmm. we found ways to entertain ourselves, you know? Actually growing up, my favorite toy to play with, I know this sounds crazy, but aluminum foil, because you could make <laughs> it, you can make it into anything. You could shape it any way you want. I would make all sorts of stuff. And that was, I even remember one Christmas, my cousins bought me a bunch of foil. And I was like, so happy. <laughs> and the foil made you the person you are today. <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> I just meld all this stuff and, you know, it take life as it comes. But no, seriously, I mean, I think that like you, you bring up a very good point. You don't want the device to become a crutch in moments where, they, they kind of need to be able to, you know, figure out things on their own. That's not going to mm-hmm. be, you know, a good habit for later on down the road. So, I, you know, I think the point you bring up is a very valid one. And, you know, yeah. parents, they are having a very hard time right now. So, you know, we do our best and we, we try to limit the amount if if you can or cut it out altogether. If, if that's Right. So I, that's something I did want to mention is that like, yeah also give yourself grace. So, I mean, I say all these things because this is what I, this is what I for many years tried to practice and do and preach. And, but Mm -hmm. you know, like that being said, I mean, what do you do when you are both working at home and your kids, there's no nanny, like your kids are, and you're on both on zoom meetings. Like what do you do? Exactly. Yes. Use the screens. If you have to just try to think of alternatives first, if it's possible, if it's not, give yourself some grace. It's okay. We're all in a pandemic. We're all doing our best. Right. It's okay. They'll be, they'll survive. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other thing that's, you know, been a challenge during the pandemic is physical activity, you Mm -hmm. know, not, not even just for adults, but for kids too, especially with stay at home orders in place. And so, you know, especially in certain States, like our state, we both live in California. So how how can parents engage with their kids to get them more active? What, are there any specific strategies that, you know, have helped you with your own kids? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I would say that physical activity is probably like of the six pillars. That's my personal hardest one to keep Mm. up with. I think like I don't, it's not my number one thing that I enjoy. (laughs) I enjoy it more now, but I, not my number one thing I enjoy. So it's my last priority when I kind of try to fit things in the day. And I always often find myself running out of time. So I will be completely honest is that I 
I'm still really working towards meeting my own personal like adult goals. So adult sure. goals, 30 minutes, five days a week, right? Sure, sure. Kids even more. So kids mm-hmm. is for kids over six, it's 60 minutes every day of exercise, yeah. of moderate exercise. Right. And then you also want to get three of those days, some vigorous exercise, three of those uh-huh. days, some bone strengthening and three of those days, some muscle strengthening. So it's, it's kind of a lot. And I think when kids play naturally, they do that or they have the playground at school and recess, they do that. But now we're at home and trying to get all that in. It's a challenge. And I will be the first to say that I don't think we're meeting the goals at our house. We're trying, sure. but we're not meeting sure, goals. Sure. So, but you know, some ideas I think that you can do at home, you know, if your kids like to jump rope, that's great for bone strengthening. Cause any mm-hmm. kind of jumping is good for bone strengthening. Mm-hmm. You know, just you can go out to the front yard, play catch. One thing that my kids did one time, and this was actually triggered by a school assignment, but it was actually pretty fun. They had to make an obstacle course. They made an obstacle oh, course cool. in the backyard that we all had to do, which ended with, with a timed plank challenge. So we all had to do planks in the backyard, um, which my kids won. They're actually amazingly good at planks. You can have a dance party in your house, you know, turn on some music. Yeah, actually, but so a couple things. One is we do dance parties just, you know, randomly at night. It's an awesome (laughs) way to just get everyone engaged. Also to wear wear them out before bed. Yeah. (laughs) The other thing is when you mentioned obstacle course, all I could think about was the show Double Dare. Did you ever watch? Yes. (laughs) Slime. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I haven't thought about obstacle courses in so long. Oh my gosh. That brings up so, so, so but that's a good idea. Obstacle course. Yeah. And for someone like your, your son's age, you know, just little things like give them tasks. Can you go find my red shoes? Can you go find a hat? Can you, and like give them run back and forth to go try to find things in the house or, you know, pretend games like, oh, pretend that you're a dog and have them crawl on the floor. And, <laughs> you know, so just little, little fun things. And so for kids your son's age, it, they're pretty much supposed to be active all the time, like as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, so oh, he is. <laughs> <laughs> And they do, they pretty much do it by nature, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't, and on the physical activity part, we don't have to worry about that one. Like it's running <laughs> around all the time. <laughs> so like in terms of other stuff, like relaxation for kids, I, you know, I think that's something that's not really talked about. Like when I was growing up, I mean, my parents, there was no relaxation <laughs> techniques taught to me growing right. up, but I think you know, as, as an adult, you know, as a physician, and I'm also very into meditation myself, I I've tried to introduce at least like, you know, counting breathing with our toddler. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that actually really has helped. There's times when he, he's near meltdown. I just take him in the bedroom and I just count and I count slowly out loud and he, he kind of calms down and then he starts counting with me. So are, are there specific strategies that you would recommend that, you know, you found helpful, not just like in your own patients and, and the parents, but like yourself as, as a mom? So sometimes I think just taking some time out, like as a, as a parent, like if your kid's having a moment, sometimes you feel like you're having a moment too. And oh, yeah. sometimes just taking some time to breathe and and actually, I used counting too in those situations. Right. My kids got were really good at counting really early on because I kept hearing counting. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that. I did that as well before I even knew anything about meditation or anything. But one other tool that I've used for even young kids um, mm-hmm. and up through teenagers for learning how to do breathing is something called the five finger breathing technique. And so basically, I demonstrate it. It's very fast to do in the office, and I just demonstrate. You put your hand up, you know, and on one hand you. Put your pointer finger up on the other, uh-huh. and then you kind of trace the outline of your hand, uh-huh. and starting at your thumb. So when you go up, you breathe in on the side of your thumb, and you go on the other side of your thumb. You breathe out, and then you breathe up when you go on the side of your second finger, and then you breathe out as you trace along the other side. And you kind of do this for your entire hand. So breathe in, oh, breathe I out, breathe in. and then you get to the other side of your hand. So by the time you get to the other side of your hand, usually you know feel a bit more calm. If you don't, start over again. But it's very visual, and I think it helps kids to you know, count their breathing. So I've taught that technique to little kids. For older kids, I've done the four, seven, eight breathing. I'm not sure mm-hmm. you've heard that one before. So mm-hmm. you breathe in for four counts, you hold for seven counts, you breathe out for eight counts. And again, all of this is to help stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system and that relaxation response, which I wish I knew all this information when I was growing up because I really could have used it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I like the the hand breathing technique because it's not even just visual, it's tactile too, right? You're feeling right. your own finger 
and just moving up and down it's it's kind of like a, just a relaxing you know strategy to use for kids so and then how about getting sleep getting better sleep for kids like what mm -hmm. what are some just like basic tips or strategies you usually recommend to your your parents that you work with well i actually start the conversation really early like a two-week visit and you know i talk to them i you know it's, i inform parents that i'm you know both pediatrics and lifestyle medicine certified mm -hmm. and so that a lot of my advice is kind of with that lens of trying to optimize healthy lifestyle habits mm -hmm. and so with that framework i tell them like you know your sleep is important i want to get you as parents sleeping as soon as you can mm -hmm. and to do that we need to get your baby sleeping well as soon as we can and so I kind of set that stage and we're not talking like full on sleep, you know, training at that young of age, cause that's too young. But what I tell them is, you know, you can teach your child to learn the skills of self-soothing, even as early as at that age by teaching them to fall asleep in their own bed. And so what typically happens when you have a newborn is the baby falls asleep while feeding and then they're asleep and you kind of tiptoe and kind of gently put them in the bassinet. And sometimes they say asleep, sometimes they don't, <laughs> and they just get mm -hmm. mad. And then sometimes you end up holding the baby and rocking the baby and they sleep there for two hours. And so I see a lot of families kind of getting into that, into that role, which becomes tough because then the baby really relies on that rocking motion. They rely on that parent, like holding them to sleep, which ultimately makes it hard for them to sleep at night. And then which ultimately makes it hard for parents to get their sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. So I kind of start off by giving them some tips on like how to teach your baby to fall asleep in their own crib or their own bassinet. And then we kind of work with, you know, teaching them to self-soothe and all of that. And then, so that's kind of in that babyhood stage. So when the kids are a little bit older, then we're kind of talking about like having, you know, routine bedtimes and making sure that the room is dark, having like a bedtime routine, like maybe taking a bath, reading a story, then bed. And so like, these are all signals to tell your kid, like, Hey, it's, it's going to be about time to go to sleep and that helps them to fall asleep. And frankly, having sleep routines is good for us as adults too, to get yeah, good sleep, right? Most definitely. So that's kind of what I advise for that age group. And then for the older kids, then, and then I'm talking to the kids directly because, you know, once they get to be about like 10 or so, I make a big point to tell them like, you know, you notice I'm talking to you directly because I know that you're older now and you're more the boss of your body and the boss of what you do, but because, but with that comes responsibility. And so then I'm setting the stage of like, hey, I trust you enough to take care of your body that I'm giving you the advice, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that I get more buy-in from the kids because I've entrusted them with this. Right. And then I explain all the, the, you know, what we talked about earlier, like all the reasoning behind the advice and, you know, about the melatonin and the circadian rhythm and why it's important to turn off your screens to, you know, one to two hours before bed. And then we talk about, you know, getting enough sleep that way. So that that's kind of the progression of what I do for sleep, you know, with my patients. Very cool. Yeah, that's great advice. So we actually have to wrap it up, but I wanted to ask you one last question. And I asked this question for, you know, all the guests I have on the show. How do you define health in your own words? And what does that really mean for you? So I think health is when you are able to find some balance, both in your mind and your body. Because when everything is just going well in both those arenas, you just have this feeling of energy and clarity that like, I know that for myself, I thought I was healthy before I did all of this. You know, I ate okay, <laughs> but I wasn't prioritizing sleep and, you know, I wasn't prioritizing stress management or exercise for that matter, but I thought I was fine and I felt okay. Um, but once I started actually changing some of these things up, I actually felt good. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, I actually didn't feel so good back then. <laughs> right. And so like, I, and I'm honestly, it's still, it's still stuff I'm working on. And I wouldn't say like, I'm at like perfect pinnacle of health, but sure. I'm closer than I ever was. So that that's kind of what it means for me. I, I really like that. I, I think that, you know, it touches on this just feeling of, of wholeness, like being whole, being, you know, yes. kind of one back to your natural state of being, I think mm -hmm. that's, you know, kind of what you're, what you're getting at and yeah we we all try our best you know i mean this, this pandemic has been truly challenging on on so many levels but like you were saying so many times throughout this talk you know just give yourself some grace and you know be patient exactly. with the process be right. patient with 
not just your health, but your kids' health. You know, we, we will all, you know, get through this and we just have to be patient with ourselves. So, yes. and, you know, before we go, where can people find you online? So um, I have a website called Wellness Pediatrician that you mentioned before. It's at wellnesspediatrician.com. On my website, I actually have a free like family wellness toolkit that just to get your family jumpstart for healthy habits. And it has information about, you know, how to make a rainbow smoothie, how to eat the rainbow for kids, some of the physical activity stuff that we talked about. So that you can find at wellnesspediatrician.com forward slash toolkit. <laughs> and then I'm also on Instagram, just at wellnesspediatrician. And so I posted, you know, momentarily there, here and there on that as well. Yes, I'm I'm following Wellness Pediatrician and I downloaded the the toolkit. It is like your website, super beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you put a lot of time into that, I can tell, but it, it really shows it's it's really well done. So Thank you so much for being here. Really enjoyed talking to you. Please come back soon. And, uh, you know, I hope you have an awesome 2021. Thank you. You too. And thank you so much for having me. I really had a fun time talking to you. Good. good. We'll see each other soon. Sounds good. Okay. Bye. So parents, how was that one for you? I had such a fun time talking to Dr. Chu. I hope our talk offers you with some new ideas on your parenting approach during this pandemic to keep your kids and yourself healthy and happy. Please reach out to Dr. Chu or myself to let us know how this episode was for you on our respective social media platforms, which you can find the links to in our show notes. And I'm always interested in improving this show. So email me at Jonar at gmail.com if you have any suggestions on topics you want to hear or how we can make the show better or to just let me know how a specific episode or guest helped to inspire you. Looking forward to hearing from you. I'm very thankful for Dr. Chu being on the show and as always so thankful for you tuning in to hear our talk. So if you like what you heard, please subscribe, like, and review my podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And share it with your family, friends, and online because sharing is caring. Thanks again to the wonderful, smart, and Amelia Liu, my intern, to Jacob Ferrer for production help, and to Stock Sounds for the music. And lastly, to you. Thank you again for listening. And remember, your state of health starts with your state of mind. So till next time, enjoy the process, my friends. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice, so please talk to your primary physician for that. In addition, the views and opinions expressed by me are my own and not that of my former, current, or future employer. This also applies to my guests. Finally, we do our best to make every effort to relay correct information. We do not guarantee its accuracy. Thank you for listening.